we continue roaming through Romans, as it were. And this week we're in the first chapter, verses 24 through 32. So let's read first, Romans chapter 1, 24 through 32. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. Let's call this morning's message, this morning's lesson, the bad news. The bad news. So, let's just get a little context back. Uh, verses 16 to 17 of the first chapter here that we're in says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So Paul in those verses states the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation for the Jew and also to the Greek. And we talked about the fact in here that, you know, why do some translations have Greek, some have Gentile? Just for our purposes, Jew and, and, and non-Jew. Okay, There's reasons why the different translators opt for one rather than the other. It's not important for our understanding, really. Let's not get bogged down in that. And this is necessary. This power of salvation, this power of the gospel is necessary. Why? Because of verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men and women who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So that's the necessity of the power of the gospel. That's why Paul said that back in those uh, verses 16 and 7. It's the power of the gospel. Why does that matter? Because of verse 18. Because the wrath of God has been revealed. And God's, God's wrath is revealed against unrighteousness and ungodliness. And really, this happened immediately in the garden, didn't it? This happened immediately in the garden. Adam and Eve worshipped and served the creature themselves <laughs> rather than the Creator. I don't think they worshipped the serpent so much, but they certainly worshipped themselves. They idolized themselves. This is what we ultimately do. We might make other idols or attach ourselves to other idols, but it's because we've sort of made ourselves everything, right? And so therefore we need a God that will accommodate our everything about us that we love in this, that we shouldn't. So in the first thing, right, the first thing Adam and Eve experienced we read in the scripture is what? Shame over their nakedness, right? So, and of course nakedness is, is linked unavoidably to human sexuality, right? So it's fascinating that Adam and Eve experienced this First, obviously, before anyone else does, but the shame and what we run into a little bit unavoidably with that is the sort of 
issues of sexuality that come from that choosing to worship something other than God. And this is the first hint of what we see here. And it, it is a reasonable conclusion, okay, inasmuch as Paul's sense of sexual purity and God's design for sexuality come from the Pentateuch. They come from the first five chapters. Whatever else can be said in Scripture, whatever Paul says anywhere, and you know and I know there have been so many attempts to, and we'll talk about this a little bit more, to take this question of homosexuality and other sexual perversion, but mostly it's people that are, look, nobody's out there defending other bizarre perverted sexual practices, okay? We don't have flags for groups to celebrate sadomasochism. We don't have flags for groups that celebrate uh, pedophilia, okay? So I'm going to stay right where the text does, and I'm going to talk about that part of, because it's so big in our culture, it's huge in our culture, okay? Homosexuality and all of the attempts by men and women now to somehow say that the text says something other than what it clearly and obviously and couldn't more plainly say, and that it is grounded in creation. Okay? It's grounded in creation. And so, whatever else might be said of it is a sidestep and a dance. You can't get around creation. And Paul was a Hebrew thinker above everything else. He didn't have to think in terms of how does the Greco-Roman world understand this? <clears throat> how do we accommodate ourselves to Greco-Roman understandings of pedastry where older men engaged in sex with younger men? We don't have to understand how or why they did all that. Scripture talks about all that and exactly what it is and why it is. Paul was a Hebrew thinker. So his mind, although he addressed and ministered in that Greco-Roman world and with Greek philosophy and everything else, his mind is, is richly, robustly, thoroughly, and completely Hebrew-Israelite theology that he brings to bear on the rest of the world as Jesus commissioned him and the other apostles too. So let's take a look then at wrath... As removal. We're going to look at re removal as a means of God's wrath. So as a means of his wrath, he removes something. Okay? He takes something away. He withholds something. Okay? We know what that is in a sense, right? Sometimes our wrath is parents. If you're a parent or, or a boss or whatever, your wrath might require the removal of something. We're removing something. And you see this three times uh, in verses 24, 26, and 28. Okay? So we see, therefore... Right? We see, for this reason and since they. So God's responding to this. So, therefore, for this reason and since they, God, and the translations vary, either God gave them up or God gave them over three times. Okay? I think there's significance to that number three because there's always significance to the number three in Scripture and it always has some sort of indication of completeness. So, God's complete sort of giving them over, giving them up to something. Uh, over in Psalm 81, 8 to 12, because, and this again just shows you a little bit what Paul's thought originates from, I believe. 81, verses 8 to 12. Hear, O my people, while I admonish you. O Israel, if you would but listen to me, there shall be no strange God among you. You shall not bow down to a foreign God. I am the Lord your God, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. So this is basically a repetition of the first commandment. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. I gave them over to their own hearts to follow their own counsels. You and I make pathetic gods with a lot of pathetic decisions. 
And we try to sort of compel that upon other people. We try so desperately hard to be God in so many ways. So the result is a certain less than-ness. I have to make up words sometimes because I can't find them in the vocabulary that we have. There's a certain less than-ness as a result of God's giving us up but giving us over. There's more to follow on that. So as part of God's removal, we are less than. Okay? And I'll talk about that. We have in here also the principle of God's sustaining. Oh, how we take this for granted. God's sustaining. Jesus upholds all things by the word of his power. Right? Hebrews 1.3. He upholds all things by the word of his power. Colossians 1.17. Jesus is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Genesis 20, verse 6. Great. This is such a verse. This is such an encouraging verse, and I wonder how many times... This has taken place in my life and how many times it's taken place in your life and God just didn't tell us about it. But he told one guy about it and this one guy has something to say to the rest of us guys and gals. And that's, so Abimelech was going to be with Sarah, okay, because Abraham was scared again that something was going to happen to him. So he said, here's my sister. And so Abimelech came and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream. And he said, you're a dead man because of the woman you've chosen. <laughs> You love the way God does this. Isn't, you're a dead man. Whoa. Uh, so, now Abimelech did not have any relations with him. And he said, Lord, will you kill innocent people? Did he, not say, did he, Abraham himself, not say to me, she's my sister? And anyway, verse 6, God says, Then God said to him in a dream, Yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart, and it was I who kept you from sinning against me. I don't know how many times that's happened in my life or yours. Probably a lot, you know? Just God's goodness and His kindness and His mercy keeping us from doing that which is... And so we see God's ability to maintain us, His ability to sustain us, especially we as God's people, right? So if we're in Christ, there's a certain power that God is at work in you and I keeping us. Now, He keeps us in a variety of ways I won't get into, right? He increases our joy in Him. He increases our zeal for Him. He increases our our passion for Him so that we don't look for satisfaction in those lesser, unhealthy passions. But it's Him that's doing that. So no no matter how we say it or what the words are that we use, the, the gist of the issue is this. God sustains us and keeps us. Like He does the rest of the universe. Um, Second Thessalonians 3, 3. But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. Again, you and I... Take for granted, maybe. Maybe you don't. Uh, but we're, we're, he, we're kept from the evil one. That's, that's pretty good news. To be kept from the evil one. To be kept from giving into his temptations. To be guarded against his temptations. Right? Oh, I just sneezed or I got something in my eye. I don't know. Maybe something was walking by me that I might otherwise have been tempted to look at. Who knows? I just don't know the things that God does. He just does so many things behind the curtain, right? But he's shown me enough of what he has done to know that what he's doing behind the curtain has got to be pretty amazing, right? Um, so God rescues us, I think, even from, from sinful thoughts at some time, right? God does rescue us from them. Second Peter 2, 9 and 10 says, The Lord knows how to rescue, knows how to rescue the godly. We're going to see what, in a minute what he does with the ungodly. He knows how to rescue the godly. And by the way, we become godly by his 
favor and grace, right? So it's not like, oh, we're, we're so great. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the, under, the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. And especially, and especially, and especially when the text says, and especially, then we need to pay especial attention, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. This is not so with those who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. There is no protection for them. It's never a good thing to suppress truth, ever, much less when it comes to ultimate reality. See, we suppress. We might suppress the truth in a number of ways. When you suppress the truth about ultimate reality, everything else sort of falls apart. This is, this is the stuff of worldviews. This is the stuff of, you know, we, as Christians, and we do apologetics, so we try to convince and persuade people. They're not living in reality, right? I was trying to think of parents. You know, examples that we might have as parents where we sort of, in a certain way, give our children up to something. In other words, we let them do certain things that we know that will hurt them to some extent after several warnings. Um, and you've got to be real choosy with that, right? You can't, you can't decide, well, I've told them a number of times you don't take the hairdryer in the bathtub. <laughs> you, don't, you don't give them over to that, right? But, I mean, you don't let them touch a hot stove or something like that just to learn. Or, or, but there are things that we might let our children do that, it's going to hurt them a little bit. They're going to stumble. They're going to fall. They're going to get whatever. And then they learn by, oh, yeah, it's just like mom and dad said. Norman, if I do that, I, I, I will bump my head. I will fall down, you know, one or two stairs or something. So we remove that protection a little bit. That's not really entirely equally proportionate to what God does. When we look at what I'll now call unfiltered, Sinful humanity. <laughs> Unfiltered, <coughs> sinful humanity. And first and foremost, when that happens, it's sexual. And I mentioned that first in the list. It shows up first in the list here. It shows up here first in the list of what happens when God removes something. Okay? And when God gives over. The first thing that, that happens as a consequence of that, as we see, is God gives him over to something that becomes sexual impurity. It's the first thing in the list. First thing again that happened with Adam and Eve. I hope you see that. Using our bodies in a way that is against and what is best for the human body, individually and corporately. God created your body. And when he did so, he designed it. And he designed human sexuality in such a way that to do it any other way, to 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 uh, to to put our, you know, to use our human sexuality in a way that is different from the way God designed it is the same thing as using anything else in a way that it wasn't designed. There's going to be consequences to it. Okay? Something is not going to hold up right. There are certain things that we, um, I know I'm, growing up a butter knife always made a great second screwdriver, didn't it? <laughs> After a while you got a bunch of butter knives in the drawer that are a little bent at the top, right? <laughs> Or other things that you might think of that, how do I use these in a way that they weren't designed for? I'm not talking about <clears throat> retrofitting certain things or reprovisioning things. We can't reprovision our sexuality in that way. But it says here that the therefore of verse 24, right? And that follows what was, what was taught on last week. Barry taught last week, right? What, and whatever, you know, however Barry taught on that. Um, 
I wasn't here. I didn't, I didn't get to listen to it yet because it's not posted yet. So I'm not even going to sort of comment on those verses uh, other than to say, you know, claiming to be wise, they became fools. And, and here's the thing. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man. And God says, okay, you do that, this is what happens. You change the image of me, you change, you, you misrepresent me, you say something, you, 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 you worship something other than me as I really am. First thing that happens is something's going to go wrong in your body sexually. God gives them up to the lusts of their hearts. See, sexual lust that is longing and getting hold of the person. So something's getting a hold of He gives them up to the lust of their hearts. It's in their soul. It's where, it's where they're lusting, and he gives that up to impurity. Okay? Depravity, we have to remember that, again, as we learn in <clears throat> good, solid understanding of scriptures and what it means to be totally depraved, right? So in the fall of sin and the fact that we're born into Satan's dominion, and we're born under Satan's lordship, and we willingly submit to that lordship. But among the things that means, it means this. Total depravity doesn't, of course, mean we're as bad as we could be. Okay? Pat, whatever wicked things in your life were in the past or might be now, I don't think there are, but you're not as bad as you potentially could be. Right? I mean, if everything about us were to completely fall apart, however, we are impacted in every area of our life. But we're also more than just our... So we, we often think of just our minds, right? But I think we can all be a witness to the fact that our bodies are fallen. So depravity impacts the material and immaterial the material and immaterial parts of us. So we don't think right. We, we don't reason correctly. We don't make good moral decisions. Okay? And so, but there's also body and soul, or body and soul and spirit, if you happen to conceive of it that way. And, you know, the question of which comes first, does the does immaterial mind come first, and does that impact the physical chemistry of the brain? We know, for example, if people have tr a head trauma... A significant head trauma. They can't. They can't think in many cases. They can't reason. They can't. It, it impacts them. Okay. But we also know the reverse is true. If you, if you have a lot of stress or, uh, you know, unaddressed stress and anxiety and trouble over time, you can over time you, you end up altering your brain chemistry. Well, your brain affects your adrenal system, and your brain affects your central nervous system, and everything's interrelated. We're falling in every way. Everything's affected by this. Everything. So. Whatever the case is, God allows all the body systems to begin to fail to function properly. Okay? This shouldn't surprise us too much. If uh, uh, one of my coworkers, she's got a bad knee, and she continues to exercise and do what she probably shouldn't be doing. Well, recently she started complaining about a bad hip. Yeah. On the same side. Yeah. I said, well, exactly. Imagine that. I said, I wonder if your knee has anything to do with it, that you keep on working on that you shouldn't, right? So our body systems are all connected together. God allows the whole system to sort of break down. Yes, Mark? Well, it's, it's called compensation. Yes. And if you have pain in a joint, uh, you're going to compensate for it, and other joints are going to be put in uh, unexpected or yes. unusual stress. Yep. It, it's kind of, it's like a, a building with a, a, one of the, some foundational uh, block removed that things start to cave in. Yeah. Yeah. No good. Um, in his book, The Biology of Sin, what a great name for a book. Matthew Sanford writes, uh, Stanford writes, As we grow and mature, our body and mind learn to interact with and react to our fallen environment, all the while spiritually separated from God by our sin. The body physically affected by sin gathers 
sensory information from the worldly environment, our carnal mind, knowing only sin because of our separation from God, chooses to satisfy itself by what we in psychology would call the pleasure principle, or if it feels good, do it lifestyle. In doing so, our mind associates normal physiological reactions and sensations with lustful desires and selfish wants. So what that means is, we take that capacity God's given us to experience pleasure and delight and joy and all that, which is intended for Him and the way He said things should be, and then horror horrors, we, we use those in a way that we begin to get pleasure and find delight in things that are bad for us. And what do you pursue about the things that give you pleasure? So we pursue that which further destroys us. It's awful. If we understand how awful sin is, if we understand how awful our fallenness was, uh, and how we're still sort of struggling with that now. Uh, now, now remove the God filter from the human machine, and you get what follows in verses 24 through 26. Remove the God filter from the human machine, and this is what you get. Just like an oil filter. All the impurities start getting into the engine, right? So that, that thing that's supposed to filter out, and the other filters in a car, right? Or your air conditioner at home, or other things. It filters out all the, the, the particles and particulates that would otherwise compromise the system. Rem put, so put that on the human level, and you get verses 24 through 26. All right? Because they changed a truth for a lie. God allows the mind and body to go into lie mode <laughs> in a variety of sexual ways. And he allows people to experience a form of sexual pleasure that dishonors their bodies. And it treats the body in a way it should not be treated. And this is the origin of all kinds of sexual hedonism. Yes, Mark. Don't people go into a uh, self-deception mode as well? Well, you have to. Yeah. I mean, you have to. You, 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 I mean, we know it's like to live conflicted in guilt and to continue to do that anyway. Um, but you, you do have to go into deception mode so that you can... And this is, this is the struggle that addicts have. So they live in denial because they have to. Because to admit it, would cause them to do the very thing or to think the very thing they can't possibly think of. I have to live without that substance. So the, the denial is, it, it keeps them going on the bad stuff. You know what I mean? Because again, if they had to admit it, really admit it, then that would mean giving up the thing that they don't want to give up. Yeah, Tony. I was just thinking about um, the verse that says about the, the whole creation is groaning. <clears throat> yes, it is. Yeah, good. It's not just humans that are affected. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right about that. It's everywhere. Corrupt worship corrupts sexual desire. Corrupt worship will corrupt sexual desire. Um, that same gentleman said, Pornography lures the flesh into doing what it does best. And what does the flesh do best? It perverts a normally pleasurable and pure instinct, sex, into a lust-filled, sin-laden chemically driven compulsion because if you've if you've ever been and i hope you're not now but if you are don't stay there i'm telling you i was there don't get caught up in pornography if you are men women doesn't matter i was surprised to hear this happens to a lot of women too young women uh middle-aged women whatever pornography is addiction like other addictions and it needs not only your, your mind, your, your, in, your immaterial mind, but it also needs your body chemistry. It needs all the stuff that goes on in your body and your mind together that creates the pleasure sensation or the, the pleasure principle. And you can't shut that down. 
So once you get sort of addicted to pornography, your body becomes chemically addicted to it as well. Not just for sexual release, but for all the way you think about everything. It's, it's, it's horrible. It just is. It's dehumanizing. It dehumanizes the person engaged in porn, and, and it dehumanizes further the people that are the objects of porn, the, the, the porn, the ones uh, posing and starring in pictures and movies and everything. We don't want to miss right in the midst of this. Paul just gives a little doxology. Isn't this awesome? They served, they, they, uh, they, they, they forsook the truth about God for lying and worshiped the served and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. <laughs> Amen. Right? He, and so he like models pure worship right in the middle of it. So like even when we're talking about sin or thinking about sin or thinking about trouble or thinking about all the impacts of this, we keep in mind the God, the creator who is overall blessed forever. Amen. What a way to model that. And I, and he praises also the God who gives people over to sin. He acknowledges and exalts God for his justice, I think, too. I, I think that might be on his mind. Okay, now we, boom, right into homosexuality here. First, he mentions women. Isn't that interesting? I would not have expected that. I would not have expected that. Where he first says, God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And I don't know, maybe I'm, am I chauvinist or something? I, I don't know. I just would not have expected women to be listed first in this. And I don't think it's by, it's never by accident. Um, Eve was the first in the transgression. Is there an echo of that here somehow? You know, Eve, Paul says elsewhere, Eve was first in the transgression. I don't know. It's just, it's, it doesn't overall matter, I guess. But see, they exchanged or traded in one thing for another, Right? And why not? They already exchanged God for something lesser. So again, see again the connection between our thoughts about God and our sexuality. So first, they changed their thoughts about God. They exchanged God. You know what it's like to exchange something? <laughs> You've got something, you don't want it, it doesn't fit quite right, you go to the store and get something that does. This is what we do with human sexuality. God gave us something, we don't like the way it fits, we don't like the way it feels, we go and we exchange it for something else. And the, the first place he goes here is homosexuality. And he does that for a reason. And, and so they, they, they abandoned or they exchanged natural re relations. What's natural? In other words, the way that we are, the way that we're truly made. So there is no, there is no sort of, uh, uh, you know, so somebody says, again, I have no problem addressing these things. The homosexual that says, I was born this way. Well, yes, you were born with corrupted desire. Welcome to the party, pal. Right? You were born with corrupt sexual desire. That's what you're telling me. Okay? You weren't born necessarily, well, in a way you were. When you choose to act in a certain way sexually, you can't blame that on anything but yourself. you got to own responsibility for that. God created in His image male and female, Scripture says. So God created them in His, in his image, male and female created He them. So if you exchange God for something less, then you exchange the whole me the, the whole male female image bearing matrix, right? You exchange that whole thing. God created us in His image, male and female. So whatever that means, uh, to be created in His image, there's uh, male and femaleness that is in the creation that somehow images God or represents God. It takes males and females to represent God. Now, when you compromise that, 
you, you throw that whole matrix, when you worship something else, you, then you throw that whole male-female image-bearing matrix into chaos. And you exchange batting lessons from Big Poppy for lessons from Mark Bellhorn. Does anyone know who Mark Bellhorn was? He was the scourge of my existence back in 2004. Mark Bellhorn could not get on base. He struck out constantly. Constantly. He was so annoying. You'd be like, Mark Bellhorn's up. Oh, great. we got guys on second and third, two out, whatever. He's done. The, the innings. I would just go, okay, the innings over. Go get some popcorn. Go get a drink. The inning's done because Mark Bellhorn was going to strike out. So you exchange batting lessons from Big Poppy for lessons from Mark Bellhorn, and you end up getting, you end up exchanging a baseball bat for a golf club. Right? You can't bring that to home plate with you. This is what happens. This is what happens when we exchange the truth of God for a lie. Okay, so, and then and then he goes on. He talks about the men likewise, right? The men, there are actions. Just to finish, there are actions. A contrast. Lesbian, lesbianism is a corruption of the woman's body with respect to sexuality and therefore her whole person. We are sexual creatures. Okay, lesbianism is a corruption. It's part of the fallen world that we're in. As, as much as are a lot of these other things. But God begins here with sexuality for a reason. The men likewise, in other words, the same way. In the same way. And they were consumed with passion. Now, it doesn't say in the text before that that the women were consumed with passion, but of course they were because it says the men likewise, so in the same way. So they were consumed with passion, and he says, and they committed shameless acts with one another. <clears throat> there are those that are advocates of it's okay to be uh, homosexuality is not a sin that say, this text, and I'll talk about this after maybe, but this text is really not addressing all homosexuality, just, just that form of homosexuality that is impure and unclean. Just that that is deviant. Just the man-boy thing. Okay, I talked about pedastry a few minutes ago. This was big in the Greco-Roman world. But these were young, consensual men who paid older men for sex. Uh, who older men paid to for sex. Okay? And there are terms, even in the Greek, in Corinthians, there are terms that refer to the ones that are passive in that homosexual relationship and the ones that are active in that relationship. It's, it's interesting how into the, the text addresses it so very specifically... And it's all for the purpose of raising people up out of the fallenness of whatever that is. Um, we know, of course, that homosexuality or the discussion about it is rampant today, even as it was in the Greco-Roman world. We do, you know, I saw something. I didn't read it. I saw the title of an article that talked about Al Mohler. He was talking a little bit about parents and saying, oh, how am I going to bring my children up in this corrupt society? And the gist of what I got from the headline of the article and maybe the opening of two sentences that I get to read was, what are you talking about? You know what it was like bringing a kid up in the Greco-Roman world as a, as a believing, as a new Christian? You know what that must have been like with everything that was going on around all the time? You don't have it any harder. And my guess is he's making a biblical case to stop whining. I didn't read it. So again, that thing I referred to a, mo a moment ago, is this just certain forms of homosexuality that are in view? You can laugh at it, but this is, a, this is an argument that is really made. I just listened to a two-and-a-half-hour debate the other day. Most of it, I caught it. Some people listen to music online at work. I listen to debates online. 
in the background at work, so you catch parts of it. But he, James White was arguing, was debating a guy over in South Africa on, you know, homosexuality. This is a really good debate. I would highly recommend you listen to James White debate anybody on anything because there's no better debater, I don't think. Um, some argue that there is a homosexuality, a homosexuality that is not opposed to nature and that Paul is just referring to that. So you see, you know, people jump through hoops just like we all do to make excuses for ourselves, Right? All we have to do is look at the biblical texts. Let's, let's go to Matthew 19 just for a moment because we want to just sort of build the case a little bit for what is natural relations? What is natural in marriage? What is, and we know that sex is only for marriage, right? Sex is, the scripture is clear for that, okay? With the exception of, and I've never been able to fully understand this and haven't studied it and will not offer an explanation for polygamy and why it's not more strongly condemned than certain points in scripture. In some places it is, and sometimes it's like if you were a king, you got away with it, or if you were, a, or, or the concubines and all that. I don't, I don't understand all that stuff. I don't pretend to. Maybe some other time, somebody we can offer a study on that. But Jesus has something to say about marriage, okay? And we know that Scripture condemns fornication and adultery. So adultery is sex with somebody else while you're married. Fornication is sexual activity outside of marriage, okay? So. What, and so, therefore, if we know what being married means, then we know when it's okay to be sexually active means. Right? This is just a logical, this is just a formula. Everybody not follow that? So, if sex is only for marriage, then we need to know what marriage is. Because only in marriage is sex right. Okay? So. That's why it's in my notes, brother. You're absolutely right. And this also goes to, you know, and this is why Paul addresses when he talks to 1 Corinthians about husband and wives depriving one another. That doesn't get talked about in the church, but boy, if that's happening in a marriage where husbands and wives deprive one another, I just feel myself getting healed. That's a recipe for disaster in a marriage. That's a recipe for disaster. Not that there aren't, can't be, I'm not talking about, I don't even know why I have to qualify. I'm not even going to bother qualifying. <laughs> we live in the land of Yabut all the time, and Yabut is a boring place because it just distracts. Matthew 19, 4 through 6. He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? Okay? So they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let non-man separate. So again, remember our formula. If sex is, is, is intended by God strictly for marriage, then we need to understand what marriage is because that's the only place where sex is healthy and acceptable and not harmful to body, soul, spirit, if you will. Okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. So Jesus there says something about what marriage is. Okay? Jesus says something there about what marriage is. Now, he doesn't use the word marriage. Do we, does he really have to? Do we have to say Trinity's not in the, the word Trinity's not in the Bible? I don't think that's an unfair comparison. First Corinthians chapter six, nine through eleven. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Now a minute ago I was telling you there are words in the original languages that refer to various participants in the homosexual activity. Some that refer to younger men, older men, etc. Those are in the text here. So your translations might look a little different here. But the, the English Standard Version reads, Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, 
nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. The homosexual cannot change his behavior. The homosexual cannot change his or her. They cannot go from homosexual to heterosexual. Oh, the, the text says something different. The text says, because it just listed homosexuals, such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And the same goes for drunkards and everything else. Yes, ma'am? Well, you have to fight. You have to. If you so, if you have homosexual lust and you're not acting on it, that's still sinful. If you're lusting, if you're fighting it, that's one thing. The fact that we're we have those or people have those because of sin, period. And so you're you're asking the question: Is the thought itself sin? And I don't know how to answer that. Well, Jesus said, if you lust after another woman, you commit adultery. Yeah. So if you engage in it, but I think what she's talking about is okay. So. Uh, you know, I, I experience in myself that I'm lusting after somebody sexually that I shouldn't be. I resist that and I fight it. And, uh, yeah. Temptation is not sin. Right. Um, giving in to the temptation in your mind, in your mm. heart, or in your actions mm. is sin. Yeah. Okay. Mark. And there's something cor- uh, admitting to what you said earlier, which we are, we all have a corrupted nature. Yep. And, and there's only re- there's only one remedy for that. Yep. Christ. Maureen and Gary. Uh-huh. And oh, he was so wonderful for his paper. He said, "I know some of you, mm-hmm. and you're dealing with this." Oh, definitely. Since you're dealing with these with these thoughts, mm-hmm. and of course, he went into all this. There's always the problem. Run to him. Run to him. It's the gospel. That's right. Remember verses 16 to 17. That's why Paul said. That's why Paul starts with the before revealing, before talking about the wrath of God revealed. He talks about the gospel. Mm-hmm. Gary. Martin Luther makes an analogy between sinful thoughts and acting on them in that he says, you can't prevent the birds from flying over your head, Mm -hmm. but you can prevent them from making a nest in your head. Yes. (laughs) Uh, And that's good. So, Paul's view on... on, on (laughs) What what did I miss? Oh, brother, brother, brother. Uh, that's just hard. That's just hard. Hey, look, man. I had, to, I had to live with years under the curse of short people got nobody. So, you know. They used to be able to sing that song, you know. I can't tell you how many tall people I kicked in the knees in my life for that song. But so, so we, have, we, have, we have the text that tells us things. And we know that Paul's view on sexuality is derived from the Levitical text that talks about... Look at the things that are in there just quickly. A quick rundown in the text in Leviticus. And, of course... I know we get slammed for going there and say, oh, so you can't sow seeds together that are different anymore either? And I don't have time to get into all the covenant stuff. But verses 22 to 28, you shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It's an abomination. You shall not lie with any animal so as to make yourself unclean with it. Okay? Neither shall any woman give herself to an animal to lie with it. It is a perversion. Why is that command in there? Because, yeah, who said that? Yeah, because people did it. Women were having sexual relations with animals. 
Okay? That's why it's in there. Don't do it. Yes? I saw a little article in the paper. This was years ago. Uh-huh. And I said it to my husband. I said, something about cookies to remember was in Silverman. Yeah. Well, that's next. And, that was, and that's, that's what already is. Yeah. I think we just don't know about it. Um, you, uh, and it goes on. Don't make yourselves unclean by any of these things, for by all these nations I'm driving out before you have become unclean. And the land became unclean. This was Leviticus 18. What did I say? Oh. <laughs> 22 to 28. Um, keep my statues. Keep my, uh, lest the land vomit you out when you make it unclean as it vomited out the nations before you. Right? What you're doing is so evil, the earth will vomit you out. Yeah. So many, there's so many sects within Judaism now, most of them wouldn't even have a problem with right. dismissing that out of right. hand. Yeah, I wasn't surprised you said that, but still it's... But, and I don't doubt that people are, may very well be born with an inclination for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Gary. But I think we all have to understand, especially young people here, that we can't impose this on the world, but we can for God's people. When you receive the Spirit of God within you, mm-hmm. you're endowed with power mm-hmm. that you didn't have previously. Right. I'm ashamed of the things that I did in my Mm-hmm. And I couldn't stop doing what I was doing, and therefore I understand why the unsaved will act out in because that that they're acting in their brutish mm-hmm. uh, mentalities. But once you get saved, your life is altered. Such were some of you, mm-hmm. but now. So mm-hmm. there's a before and there's an after mm-hmm. that applies to the believer. Mm-hmm. But for the unbeliever, their their ability to change themselves is limited. Yeah, and that's why. Uh, again, keep in mind this is not. Um, we're just following the text here. This is not doing anything other than following the text that's assigned and that flows where it does in the book of Romans. This is not an assault on the world. This is understanding. This has given us an understanding so that we know why the gospel is necessary. Why the gospel is necessary. Because the first evidence of exchanging the truth for a lie when it comes to God is... Sexual perversity, sexual sin, and in this case, homosexuality. It's one of the first things that shows up. I didn't write it. Okay, so I'm going to hold off on questions until I get to the end and then take some of this time just to make sure I get through the material. So it says here they received the due penalty of their error. I, I would say the due penalty. What, what's the due penalty? It's, well, it's very simple. If you speed and break the law, you get a fine. You get five bucks. You get 50 bucks initially and then five bucks for every 
mile over or something like that, right, officer? So it's, there's a due penalty. Now, I don't know exactly what that is, okay? NBC News, March 19th, just this year, ran a story about a recent study in the American Journal of Preventative Medicine. This was a study of 20,000 suicide deaths of those aged 15 and older across 18 states between the years 2003 and 2014. Um, it says, compared to heterosexuals, the report found gay men who killed themselves were likelier to have had a diagnosed mental health condition, a history of suicidal thoughts or plans, an argument before death, and a crisis around the time of death. Like gay men, lesbians were also likelier than heterosexuals to have had a diagnosed mental health condition prior to suicide and were likelier to have tried to signal their desire to attempt suicide before doing so. Noting that when compared to straight youth, lesbian, gay, and bisexual youth are five times more likely to attempt suicide. The study suggests a need to conduct suicide prevention activities across age groups, including youth, which absolutely, by all means, do that. We should always be doing anything we can to mitigate the impact of sin in the world to whatever extent we can. But those are very interesting stats. And that's not you can't blame everything, of course, on being bullied. I mean... Our homosexual same-sex couple friends need the gospel of God's grace and love. Not because of homosexuality, but because of sin in general. Because they're lost, like every other lost person. However, there's a reason why uh, the text goes in the way and in the order that it does, right? And it's interesting that Paul said, Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. So it's, it's just a very strong evidence. And, and I think it's most important to Christians to remember this, that when we minister the gospel, and that Gary, I think, referred to this, deferred to this a moment ago, we're not out there preaching against, oh, you've got to stop homosexuality or stop. I think, you can, I think we can make our case in public. There are, there are very well-educated men and women that make the case for natural uh, revelation or natural theology, so-called, or just a natural understanding of the body, how are we designed, all that stuff. But there's nothing wrong with stating your case in the public arena whatsoever. It's, it's, it's not, not a, certainly not a condemning thing. We can't just always sit back and just let a lie run rampant. It's ruining people's lives. We're there to stand in the gap and, and, and sort of to push back and to try to stop the flood a little bit and to be able to offer the gospel in the meantime. And the question has come up, is this, does this, you know, receiving the due penalty, does that mean HIV? Uh, so the text says they receive the due penalty within themselves. And so I think it's likely mental and physical. I mean, HIV is widely a homosexual disease and then secondarily a drug disease. But, again, so much of what we are is a very easy if-then thing. If you have... X relationships, there's a good possibility, especially if you're, you know, really, um, really just promiscuous. I mean, there's a channel I have on one of the cable. Ch- well, it's not cable. I get an app that I can see various cable channels with. But there's an ad out there for this drug, and the ad is there are homosexuals in the ad, and they're promoting a certain drug to prevent, to further prevent the possibility of HIV, to further protect themselves from HIV. You know, um, I don't want anyone to get that stuff. 
And so the text goes on and says they're given over to a debased mind. We don't think right. You do away with God, you don't think right. Your brain, your your ability to rationalize and reason is gone. A debased mind to do. The scripture says they were given a debased mind not just to think, but the text says they were given a debased mind to do. In other words, God removes his protective sort of filter and they now think it's okay to do that. We now think it's okay to do that. This is for all of us. All kinds of unrighteousness, every category, depth and depravity is on view here. And and the text moves from sexual sin to other sins, grievous sins. And and this doesn't mean that just the homosexuals here are committing these sins. This is all people. And this list is frightening. When we consider it applies, again, in varying degrees to every human being. It's the inevitable consequence of not acknowledging God as God is. This is what we have to remember. It isn't just... It's easy to just sort of get caught up in the routine of, oh, the unbelievers are going to hell. The unbelievers are going to hell. Oh, they're not saved. They're going... They're, they're, if you're not a, it's, life is hard enough as a Christian. We struggle with sin as it is. The unbeliever is, is abandoned. They are under Satan's dominion. They are his plaything. They are the cat's catnip. Um, and this is not some, some vague notion of God, right? We don't, get to, we don't get half credit for thinking partly right about God. You don't worship and serve the Creator as He is. There's a consequence to that, a natural consequence. The only one that comes close to this list that I know of is Dr. Seuss. (laughs) When he says, your soul is an appalling dung heap, overflowing with the most disgraceful assortment of deplorable rubbish imaginable, mangled up and tangled up knots. Isn't that perfect? (laughs) Dr. Seuss had insight. This is what this text is. It's horrible. The the, the debased mind. This is mankind without God. It doesn't seem much different than the way things were when God decided to flood the world, does it? Genesis 6, 5 said, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The text here reads, They were filled with, they were full of, every flavor of evil we can think of. And are there degrees of sin? Perhaps there are to some extent, I don't want to get sidetracked, but verse 32 says about the whole list that preceded it, Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. So we can talk about degrees of sin if you want to, but verse 32 saying everything says that about those who practice murder, they know they deserve to die. Those who practice gossip know they deserve to die. Right? Am I right? Is that where it is in the text? Do all people really know that they deserve death? For these things, I mean, what does that mean? I was thinking about this. What does this mean that people know that uh, God's decree that those who practice such things, and that's an important word there, practice, because I think that means practice. (laughs) It means just what it says. Rehearse it over and over. Do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. It's not the person struggling against it to to, um, Darlene's question. Um, I think perhaps... Perhaps that's what conviction, in a sense, is. It's, it's, it is to inwardly experience God's wrath. Each genuine conviction of sin for the unredeemed is a sort of near-death experience. I think every conviction of sin in the unredeemed is something of a near-death experience because they know something. That's what the conviction is. Conviction is a powerful thing. That sense of guilt. 
it's like I've done something. I mean, it takes takes strong things to sort of spook us. Guilt is a sense of being spooked about something, isn't it? And that sense about being spooked is that I've offended something, someone, not something, right? We're not offending the rocks and the trees. And this is true, of course, for both Jews and Greeks and all Gentiles for that matter because, again, verse 16, the gospel is for everyone. And this is for everyone. And that theme will be picked up a little bit in next week's study as well. The debased mind. Even so, even though we know this, even though we experience guilt, even though we have those little, as I call them, near-death experiences, even though we know the the decree of God that those who practice, practice such things, deserve to die, even so... The debased God abandoned the debased God abandoned mind applauds those who commit the same offenses. Not only doesn't, but applauds others that do. So they further suppress the truth and unrighteousness. The truth that their conviction gave them. They had a truth. They experienced. So even though they've ex- they've ex- they've suppressed the truth and unrighteousness, and yet God in His grace gives that sense of knowing that you deserve death for this. That's grace. That's grace that allows a person to know that you offended God, okay? That's grace that that's there. You know, you can't, can't, I don't know how many people say, boy, I didn't know there was a speed limit sign, I never saw it, right? Well, most of the time there is one, but what if there really wasn't one, right? You couldn't really hold them guilty if there wasn't a speed limit sign, right? So God has given us that, right? Hold on. Uh-oh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yes, you can. Think of Romans 120. Uh-huh. With that in mind. Yeah, yeah. But it's still the fact that God, it says here that God, they know the decree of God that those who practice such things deserve to die. So they know something about it. Um, so, but then to applaud people and just to forget about that is to further suppress the truth, right? What a horror this is. Augustine said, observe how often it happens that the very punishment which God inflicts begets other sins as its natural offspring. I'll, I'll rephrase that. I'll say that again because... Observe how often it happens that the very punishment which God inflicts, in other words, He punishes us, or He pours out His wrath for our sins, part of that wrath is it begets other sins in us as its natural offspring. And Martin Luther said, when God deals with transgressors according to His stern justice, He permits the perverse sinner to break His commandments all the more viciously in order that He might punish them all the more severely. Last thought here on the debased mind was on full display. I'm going to pick on poor Bill Maher because he is iconic of the debased mind in my view. I mean, besides the guy I see in the mirror, that Bill Maher. So this is on the death of David Coach. Okay, David Coach was a very wealthy conservative billionaire, him and his brother. And they funded a lot of conservative causes. They gave a lot of money towards uh, colleges that work on medicine. And they were libertarian. And the other side despises them. This is what Bill Maher said on his show this week. He said, yesterday, David Coach of the Zillionaire Coach Brothers died of prostate cancer. I guess I'm going to have to reevaluate my low opinion of prostate cancer. As for his remains, he's asked to be cremated and have his ashes blown into a child's lungs. David and Charles Koch have done more than anybody to fund climate science deniers. So F him. The Amazon is bringing up. I'm glad he's dead, and I hope the end was painful. How do you... Did he say that on television? Yeah. On his show. On HBO. It's the right to free speech, right? And I said to myself, I mean, you have to realize that, yes, that's extreme, but that is exactly 
where the world is that we live in. We're in the middle of that. That's the depraved mind given over by God. And again, I'm just pointing to him because it's a real obvious example this week. I could show you a DVD of my life and the things I've said. Okay. Um, and the audience, yeah, the raucous applauding. Raucous applause. And such were some of us. So, you know, politics today, Facebook, other media, be careful. I would just say young people, but I got off Facebook because I couldn't walk away from a fight. There's a lot of slander and gossip and maliciousness and murder and God-hating and heartlessness and ruthlessness and a lot of applause. doesn't mean you can't do Facebook. doesn't mean you can't do social media, but I'm telling you, it's on full display here. The God giving people over to a debased mind is flourishing on Facebook, Twitter, uh, whatever else there is, Instagram, a million other things, right? Where former Christians like Josh Harris, who wrote the book on why I kissed Danny goodbye and was the model for years and years and years for youth groups and everything else, a couple of weeks ago, put a, you know, a picture of himself in deep reflective thought with the lake behind him, why he's walking away from, why he's walking away from the faith. And why two weeks later he was attending homosexual parades. What's that? And this was after he left his wife. Right, so we just don't, you know, that's what we're in. This is why the gospel alone is the power of God for salvation. We bring the love of Christ and his gospel into this environment. This is where we are. You better, better be aware that this is where we are. We have that power of God for salvation message. You know, when Jesus cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But mankind had first forsaken God. And Jesus took all of man's forsaking God upon his own body and soul, right? He took all of man's forsaking God. And Jesus became sort of the death deserver in our place. We have the gospel to bring to people because Romans 1, 24 to 32 is going on right now. God is giving people over to a debased mind. He's giving them up. And, and yes, we can be repulsed by it in our culture, but we had also better, and I would say this to me as much as to anyone, because I can be guilty of it, of just that angry reaction, but we need a compassionate heart that overflows bowels of mercies for people that have been given over. We're part of God's rescue project, my friends. We're part of that. Yeah. Yeah. Being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Yep. It is an active effort by the Spirit of God to work in the heart of the individual Christian to transform that mind so they don't get entrapped by the renewing aspect of the culture to the mind. Keep on running for that gospel, people. It's the only place where it's at. Barry, you get the last word before you pray.